Today's message is simple. We're going to take a look at two stories whose settings are thousands of years apart. Yet they are connected in ways that make it so that if you read one without the other, you don't fully understand all that the story means. But by looking at them both and looking at them together, the hope is that we'll understand each of them in deeper ways. And also, we'll understand how those stories impact our story and who we are as a church. Simple enough? Two stories. Story number one. Once upon a time, a long, long time ago, not long after the great flood, the descendants of Noah were all in one place, and they spoke just one language. They were unified as just one people. Together, they came up with this common goal. They said to each other, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we can make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. So they began to build. And I want you to imagine for a moment the difficulty of this work. They didn't have modern machinery. They baked bricks. They had to build the foundations of this structure that they wanted to be able to withstand continuing to build upon and upon higher and higher. And then imagine as this structure begins to get taller, the work of carrying these bricks by hand up and up and up, building as high as they could. This, to me, sounds like grueling work. Now, I know that there are many of you that, that do harder uh, physical labor than I do in my office during the week, but I'm guessing this sounds like grueling work to everyone else as well. Constantly baking bricks and carrying them up this tower all day. The motivation to build this tower would have had to have been so strong that it outweighed the difficulty of the work itself. Their work was the building of this tower. But the motivation, the motivation had to be so strong. Because the tower itself was not the goal, right? The tower was to accomplish something else. The goal was to make a name for themselves. To make a name for themselves. This desire to glorify their own name fueled this difficult, grueling, backbreaking work. So, as they were building this tower, God comes down and looks and sees and is not pleased. God saw the sinfulness that had survived the flood and continued on. And God says this, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language 
so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. They stopped building. But now what? From the beginning, God's design was for all people to be in relationship with him. And now people are scattered over the face of the whole earth and cannot even be in relationship with each other. This story, the Tower of Babel, is found in Genesis chapter 11. It comes shortly after the story of Noah and the flood. And it makes it very clear that human sinfulness has survived the flood. Now, while it's really easy to look back and criticize those doing this work and those that had this goal, while it's easy to look back and criticize those who were building the towers, seeking to make a name for themselves, I want to remind you of something. I want to remind you that stories in Scripture often mirror our own stories. In fact, they're often meant to be a mirror for us to look into and see ourselves. In fact, I could argue that the point of this story existing in Genesis 11 at all is not just to tell us of some historical event that happened thousands of years ago. You see, ancient cultures of all kinds regularly composed stories to reveal a truth that they would see in the world around them. Most scholars believe the ancient Israelites participated in this practice as well. This practice of composing stories to explain what they saw in the world. To explain the truths about God that they saw in the world. The scholarly word for this is etiology. Now, those of you in the medical field might be aware of this word. You can see the definition on the screen. The cause, set of causes, or manner of causation of a disease or condition. And this is the definition most people know, of the, if you've ever heard of this word at all, of this word, etiology. But there's another definition that in this, the, the, the world of literature is used to describe types of writing. The investigation or attribution of the cause or reason for something often expressed in terms of historical or mythical explanation. See, an etiology doesn't care whether something is historical or not. It's a story that could be historical or not. The point of it existing is to reveal a deeper truth about the world. And in the, in the world of the Bible, this is a deeper truth about God or about human nature. And so this story in Genesis 11, whether it's a historical story or one written to com to compo composed to reveal a deeper truth, matters not. It is describing a deeper reality about the state of the human heart, of human sinfulness. 
And if we merely read Genesis to learn about the past, then it has no role in forming us in the present. If we read this story and ask the Holy Spirit to speak through it, to form us in the present, we'll see that we still have this temptation today. We're no longer off the hook and say, oh, those bad people way back when that wanted to make a name for themselves and build this tower, how dare they? Because the truth of the Tower of Babel can be seen throughout the modern world as well. The truth is, we still do things to try to make us look better than we are. Right? This ancient temptation continues even now. It can be seen in the secular world, but also within the world of church. I want to let you in on a, a secret. It is very easy to get swept up in the temptation in church leadership to have this mindset, to begin thinking about how can we do things so that people will take note of Georgetown first? How can we build things up? How can we build up the name on our sign out front? How can we do things bigger and better so that we can make a name for our church even over the other churches in town? The sin of the Tower of Babel is alive and well and even tries to sneak in to the life in the church. Now, in the very next chapter, God enacts a plan to eventually bring all of the nations that have been scattered and confused back to him. He enacts this plan in Genesis chapter 12, when God calls Abram to follow him and telling Abram that all people on earth, all those ones that we just read about being scattered, all people on earth will be blessed through you. So the nations are scattered and confused in different languages. And God's plan starts small. Not just with one nation, but with one man. Saying, all people of the earth will be blessed through you. The grand narrative that flows throughout scripture is following this plan. Starting with this one man. But ultimately, the plan is to bring the scattered nations back into relationship with God. That was story number one. Story number two. After Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension into the heavens, there's a, a Jewish festival that brings Jews that had been scattered all to the same place in Jerusalem. And suddenly... From heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. 
Now, there were devout Jews from every people under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? How is it that each of us hear in our own native language? And after this begins happening, we're told that Peter stands up and preaches a message talking about God and what he has done in the past and how Jesus, the Messiah, fits into the larger picture of what God is continuing to do. These people hear all of this in their own language. And then we're told that now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Somewhere, oh, and then he says, For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And then somewhere around 3,000 people, we sang this in one of the verses at the beginning of the service, 3,000 people responded to that message that day. Now we call that day the birth of the Christian church. We rightly remember that this is when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the church, empowering the church to go out and to do amazing things. Uh, Drew, if you'd just go back to that scripture for a second, the, the first slide of it, one more. Yeah, right there. I want to point out a few things about this scripture. When they come to Peter and say, what should we do in response to what you're telling us about the Messiah? Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Not in the name of the church. Not in the name of Peter the Apostle. Not in the name of the apostles. Peter does not draw them to his name, but to another name. He draws them to the name of Jesus. And then he tells them that they too will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that is promised to them. And then uh, in the very next chapter, in Acts chapter 3, Peter looks at a man who cannot walk and says to him, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. This is a consistent phrase that's used by the apostles moving forward when they do anything. In the name of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit in them turns their hearts outwards and points to someone else's name giving Jesus all credit for any miracle performed and all glory and honor. Everything is done in Jesus' name. At the day of Pentecost, God is acting to reverse the effects of human sinfulness 
God is acting to reverse the effects of human sinfulness. That's what the Holy Spirit does in our hearts. And specifically, God is acting to reverse the effects of human sinfulness that is revealed in the story of the Tower of Babel. Take a look at the effects of the the Tower of Babel. People seek to make a name for themselves. That was their common goal. Their language is confused. And people are scattered. But at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes, the effects, people glory in the name of Jesus. Languages are understood instead of confused. And people are gathered together at one place. That one place in the story is Jerusalem, but more importantly, that one place is people are brought back into right relationship with God. Both stories. Both stories are a part of our story. And these two stories together show two possible realities of our life in the church. One story is a picture of the church filled with the Spirit sent in mission to all nations, drawing people to the name of Jesus. And the story of the Tower of Babel, on the other hand, can be a picture of the people of God focused only inward, seeking to build up the name on the church sign. One of the things the early church did to remind themselves of their identity was to break bread together. In that same very chapter that we we hear the story of Pentecost, we're told that after they're baptized that the people who were baptized devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship together, and to the breaking of bread. Because for the early church, the breaking of bread was not just a fun thing to do. It was not just a meal to share together. It was their identity. They were the people whom Jesus' body was broken for. They were the people whom Jesus saved on the cross. And the breaking of the bread identified them as who they were. And so when the church 2,000 years later gathers together and breaks bread together, it's a reminder of our identity, of who we are as a church. We are the people whom Jesus has saved from our sins. The temptation at the Tower of Babel We are saved from that because of what is symbolized in the breaking of the bread. And the coming of the Holy Spirit is a part of that story as well. And so we enact that together. The very same response the early church had is what we do together today as we come to the communion table. We come to remember the sacrifice to participate in claiming it as our identity as well.